Welcome to Cinema 7. My name is Mario B, and I am the host for this episode because I am the only one who did not fully read the book of what we were talking about. (laughs) And what we're talking about is Annihilation, starring Natalie Portman, Gina Rodriguez, um, some other people. My boo, Tessa Thompson. uh, Tessa Thompson. uh, I don't know who the other people are. Oh, Oscar Isaac. You know, he's heavenly. Jennifer Jason Leigh. Yeah, whoever that is. We're going to break down this movie, uh, but first I want to uh, introduce my co-hosts to my virtual right, as uh, Chris Hawk and John would do, is uh, Chris Hawk. We'll say Chris Hawk to my virtual right. I'm here. And to my virtual left is John Kenoki. Why, hello. We're so energetic. We're so pumped. We're so ready to so, talk about so, Annihilation. So about, to go uh, right, about to go an all-night rager after this. Make sure that you subscribe on iTunes and that you give us five-star ratings, okay? That's it. That's all we want is five-star ratings on iTunes. Actually, you can we'll, give us any we'll kind of We'll start paying you guys. We'll start paying you guys to give us five stars. We'll you. So, honestly, it doesn't matter. Give us whatever rating you feel like uh, we deserve. Just go and rate us. Give us a review. Uh, we'd appreciate the feedback, and it would help us improve, and it would help us... Yeah, I pretty much just said it. It'd help us we're improve. Not, we're not paying you, by the way. That's bribery. Yeah, we're not actually paying you. Yeah, we're not bribery. actually paying But you could pay us. Go to Patreon.com, look up Cinema 7, that is Cinema, the number 7, E-V-E-N, uh, podcast, and you can donate as little as a dollar to help support creators like Cinema 7. But mostly, Cinema 7 is who you should be supporting. So first, I wanted to ask you guys, um, how you guys been? Chris Hawk, how you been? Okay, so... Since, since uh, Black Panther. Putting a baby to sleep is like an art. Um, so I don't know if you guys know this, but babies can be too tired to go to sleep. And so they will throw a fit because they're not falling asleep. So that's like the biggest, funniest paradox there ever was. It's funny and it's there ever was there ever was because they're they're freaking out because they're tired and they can't fall asleep because they're freaking out. And it's like a. It's like a self-fulfilling prophecy. Like, I want to go to sleep, but I'm freaking out. And I, again, I can't because I'm freaking out. It's, it's fantastic. But thankfully, I am the, uh, I'm like the master of putting babies to sleep, or at least my baby to sleep. I don't want to jinx it. We'll have to test sleep. it with other babies. She's sleeping. She's sleeping. Right this. Hands down. If you've got a baby, you can go to Facebook, you know, Cinema 7, and tell us we can use it so Chris Hawk can test it. <laughs> we'll use your baby to see if Chris Hawk can put it to sleep, because he just said, you heard it, he's the master. Now, I want to state that I did say black, last time since Black Panther, uh, Black Panther was the last time that the three of us were together. We did have a Cloverfield episode come out with uh, Chris Poole from Fireside Comics. You can go check that out. Talk about Cloverfield. We talk about the Cloverfield paradox, and we have an episode, uh, special Broadway episode where uh, John Kenoki and Nick Kenoki, the Kenoki Bros, talk about the Super Kenoki Bros. They talk about 
their Broadway experience in their New York trip recently. Uh, so check that out. That's pretty entertaining. But let's get right down to brass tacks. Let's start with the news. So there's a, there's a bunch of stuff going on. Uh, first off, I want to start with uh, Kevin Smith. Now, I don't know how big of a fans, uh, how big of fans you guys are of Kevin Smith. Um, I like a couple Kevin Smith movies. He seems like a pretty cool guy. He's a big comic book geek, comic book nerd, just like us. Uh, but he suffered a massive heart attack doing... Um, but he's fine. He's fine. He's fine. He's fine. He's fine. He's fine. If you didn't know, he's fine. He's fine. Uh, so he had, what was it, 100% blockage or something like he, or something like that. He, he said, because he was doing two tours, two comedy shows, and I guess the first one was okay. The second one is when he felt sweaty and like he was going to vomit. His chest felt weird. And they rushed him to the hospital, I guess, and he had like an artery that was like 100% blocked. And it was like, it's called like the Widowmaker or whatever. Mm-hmm. The Widowmaker heart attack. But I guess he's all right. He said uh, he's put up a bunch of videos after that, said he's fine. I think he did a podcast with his uh, one friend, Ralph. I forget the the guy's name, but uh, Mouth McCroy or how do you say his name? Maybe I'm thinking of. No, wait, that's somebody else, isn't it? Anyway, he did a pod. One of his eight podcasts he does, he, he <laughs> described it and said how he was fine and all that. But uh, yeah, so uh, glad to see that Kevin Smith is OK. Um, John, how do you feel about that? How do you feel about Kevin Smith? I'll be honest. Um, he's an all right guy. I don't mind him. I've never met him personally, so I can't be like (laughs) judging him, you know, but I'm glad he's okay. He seems like an okay guy. People love him. That's all that matters. That's true. That's true. Chris Hawk, you, you like some Kevin Smith movies. I do like some Kevin Smith. I just hope that he takes it serious because the statistics for people that have like a widowmaker heart attack, the average lifespan is about five years after that heart attack. This is some serious stuff that he needs to change. It's like a lifestyle change. Like you have, you are more likely to die in, within fifth, five years after this heart attack. It's, it's very, very scary. He's got to take it day by day. He's got to be super careful. So, Kevin Smith, uh, from Cinema 7 to you, be careful. Uh, On to the next piece of news. Uh, Marvel released some news this week. Uh, People are pumped. Chris Hawk is pumped. We know Chris Hawk is pumped. Uh, Chris Hawk, tell us about that news. You're so pumped. So, it started off on Twitter. Robert Downey Jr. is telling Marvel Co. Be like, hey, Marvel Company, I got some friends. Now, I mean, I want to see the movie in America earlier. Can we do that? Marvel says, yeah. And then Robert Downey Jr. is like, but can my friends see it also? And Marvel's like, sure. And so they, re- they moved the release date of Infinity War Avengers a week from May 4th to April 27th. It's now amazing. Is, is April 27th, a, uh, what, that's a Thursday, right? Uh, Friday? It's, it's, a, it's a day, but it, cor- it correlates with that's the worldwide release date for that movie so i think they did it even though and i know it's like a uh one of those things it's just a they did it for the fans but yeah this this was planned this was definitely planned in advance because you mean it wasn't <laughs> real that they I, I think it's so early for as a political st- or as a uh marketing stunt yeah because I, I bet you it has to do with those spoilers because the world would be getting it before us 
And I, I, I think it has to do with spoilers. The internet thinks it has to do with spoilers. It, everyone's going to be seeing it at the same time. There's going to be some big spoilers in this movie, and I don't think anyone wants to get ruined on it. Now, John, I totally forgot and skipped over you about asking how you've been since Black Panther, which I totally <laughs> apologize. But can you give us your opinion on this right here? What do you think? It's only a week. I'll just be honest. I'm not impressed. I am impressed at the sheer volume of movies they're going to release between now and 2022. <laughs> they released that like new list of a bunch of untitled movies. It's, it's going to be three Marvel movies a year now, basically. I don't have the attention span for that to appreciate them. Yeah, I do. Whoa. Chris Hawk, we know you do, and we know that you're going to be wetting your pants while you're watching the movie. I'm wearing a diaper, so I don't have to get up to go to the bathroom. If you have adult diapers, <laughs> you can donate them to Cinema 7 on Facebook. For Chris Hawk. So speaking of movies uh, and, and movie news like Infinity War, uh, Quentin Tarantino's new movie, uh, I don't know what it's called, I guess Once Upon a Time Once, in, in uh, Hollywood? Yes. Once Upon a Time in Hollywood. Yeah, uh, His new movie, he has, I think, Leo DiCaprio was the first casting that they announced, but now it's um, noted that Brad Pitt is joining the movie, or joining yes. the cast. So, Leo or Brad, one of them, they play an actor in the 70s, and one of the other actors is the stunt double for the other one. I, I forget the specifics, but it's during the time with Charles Manson. It's all you need to know. Quentin Tarantino, old Hollywood. It's going to be so nostalgic, like Tarantino movies. It's going to be a lot of good music, like Tarantino movies. It's, it's Leo. Leo's the actor. Brad Pitt's the stuntman. Love it. And they are neighbors to Sharon Tate. Oh, who my is the, goodness. Uh, the person who was infamously killed by Manson's followers. So... John, you're a big uh, Leo DiCaprio fan. You love a lot of Leo DiCaprio things. Are you excited for Leo DiCaprio to do a movie with Quentin Tarantino again about the murder surrounding the murders of Charles Manson? Here's the thing. I don't I don't think well, so far the movie is slated to be released on the anniversary of her killing. Wow. Which I don't think is very respectful. But I am really excited for the nature of the movie. Uh, Charles Manson, uh, you know, he's he's dead, but he, he applied for parole like what twenty three times, always denied. Screw him. You know, he created this cult and became almost like a a pop culture icon back then. Like he knew all these people, and it, it's really interesting, like how involved he was in the Hollywood scene, even though he never did anything like directly related to Hollywood, minus recording with uh, an artist or two with like, I don't know, some hippie music or something because it's set in the late 60s. Mm -hmm. But I, I mean, I think it's a really cool subject. The thing is, Tarantino movies are kind of over the top a lot. You know, I mean, you do have the seriousness of a few, but there's always that edge to them. Yeah. And I almost wish this was like a serious movie being made like a really serious director and not Tarantino. But I'm casually optimistic. It's like it's got that ultra violence filter on it for all of Tarantino's movies. Like they're, yeah, exactly. Do you think that it's going to be a sensitive subject to do that Quentin Tarantino style to something like a Charles Manson true life story? I don't think so. I actually think it um, opens up the door to do something like this by a serious director. 
what could happen is, what I'm afraid of is Quentin Tarantino making Charles Manson a character that's likable. Like that's likable, and people think he's cool. Well, I mean, that was his thing, I'm, though. But I'm afraid is that's what he made yeah, you feel. I'm afraid that's what's going to happen in the movie, or, and people are going to the public is going to turn. Like public opinion is going to be for it. You know how it kind of happens in some some movies. Well, look, I mean, the concept of what Charles Manson's Helter Skelter is something that no sane person would get behind. So True. as long as you know, as long as they portray him and believing what he actually believed in towards the end of his uh, when he started killing all those people, then I don't think any person that isn't already that way is going to be on board. Let's hope. Let's hope that we're not easily brainwashed. Yeah, it's weird. The internet is uh, very weird these days with fandom. So we'll see what happens. But uh, is there any other news you guys wanted to discuss or any other rumblings in the movie or video game worlds, universes you guys heard of? Oscars. You love them. I love them. Everybody loves them. Not really. Maybe sometimes. Are you talking about what are you talking about Oscars? I thought it was like the lowest ratings ever for the Oscars. Oh, oh, it is. It is the lowest ratings ever. Do you guys ever watch the Oscars? Nope. I'll tell you, I never do. Neither do I. I uh, the best part is watching reactions on Twitter. That's probably the best form of entertainment that you can get from the Oscars. There's some pretty funny, pretty funny people on Twitter. I don't know where you get the good reactions from because, you know, I look at it. And I just don't see them. Well, Twitter does do a thing where they show you the best moments. Oh, so you, you, guys... like, you like watch the uh, the presenting and all that, too, in the speeches? I watch the best picture speech. That's oh, okay. really the only speech. That's a really only speech I'm really... And if an actor I'm really pining for, like, uh, I was really... I really wanted, uh, you know... Somebody from one of my favorite movies, like Shape of... I really wanted um, Daniel Kaluuya to win, but, you know, that didn't happen. Speaking of Daniel Kaluuya, that guy makes the same face in everything he's in. <laughs> he has, like, the same resting face. You guys notice that? No, <laughs> now that John mentions it... Uh, yeah, he has the noticeable. same face. Like, I don't know what it is, but uh, recently watched Get Out for the first time. He was in that. Then, you know, I was going through the Black Mirror stuff, watching that for the first time. He was in that. I'm like, okay, there he is again. Mm-hmm. Um, and I'm re-watching Doctor Who with Jennifer so she can watch it for the first time. There he is showing up in Doctor Who. I'm like, man, this guy is in everything I have watched in the past, <laughs> like, month, even though it's spread out by, like, a series of seven years. Um, I bet you that has something to do with, like, a classically trained acting class or something like that. That sounds like like a form of that. To be as stoic as possible when the other person's doing their lines or to show no emotion. Well, I don't know. I, don't, I mean, I don't know. I like the guy. It's just he, he, ha- he does make the same face and everything. I remember and he's like, were... he's significantly younger in Doctor Who, but he's still making that face. <laughs> yes, the Danny Kalua face. Needs Did, to be uh, a meme. So Mario and I were talking about it a little bit. Uh, Hawk, how do, you, how do you feel about the Shape of Water winning Best Picture. Out of the movies listed there, the ones that I've seen, I felt that it was fine, that it won. Uh, I haven't seen any of them but Get Out, 
really. I haven't been able to see Call Me By Your Name. That's at Redbox now. Darkest Hours at Redbox. Dunkirk is at Redbox. Ladybirds at Redbox. Phantom Threads at Redbox. And The Post is at Redbox. And Three Billboards Outside Ebbing, Missouri is also at Redbox. Oh. So I, I got some catching up to do. I, I like I like the fact that The Shape of Water won because it's it's genre busting. No monster movie has ever won, I believe. I, I don't even know if and I can count it as a monster movie, though. It's definitely a monster movie or a fairy tale movie. I don't know what to call it. <laughs> I just don't want to say it's a monster movie, but I don't want to say it's a romance movie, but it's kind of a romance movie. And it can be many a monster things. Movie. I don't, I don't think know. It was... I don't know if I would. I don't know if I would pick best movie, but I'm happy that Guillermo won best director. No, he won best picture and best director. Yeah, I know, but I'm just. I was saying, you're just glad he won both or one of the I'm other. I mean, it's pretty great that he won best picture. I didn't think. I didn't think the uh, Oscar voters were going to vote for Shape of Water for best picture. You know, I was saying, um, my girlfriend. Kenya, she was saying, like, uh, what she texted me that uh, Jordan Peele won best original script when it happened. I was like, you know what that means? Get Out's not getting best picture. I, <laughs> I just knew right there that they were going to get. I, I thought that Three Billboards was going to win because that's what it seemed like it was building up to was that Three Billboards would be the uh, movie to win best picture just because of all the hype around it. Everybody saying how good it was and. You know, there's what's the percentage hawk of like old white men that are on there? Sixty three percent or something like that. Yeah. Or? So I thought like they would love that movie specifically, and it would just they would just give it to three billboards. But I was a little shocked. Shape of Water won, but I personally don't even think it's. I personally don't think it's best picture. Like I personally strongly believe that War for the Planet of the Apes and Logan were way better movies than anything up there. Lady Bird, I couldn't even sit all the way through. And Get Out, I don't it's good and it's different and it's in something like that. I'm glad it's recognized at the Oscars. It's been a while since something like a thriller and um new and creative has been uh, at the Oscars, I mean, there's Star Wars and Alien and Rocky. You haven't s- seen things like that at the Oscars in a long Lord time. Lord of the Rings. Well, Lord of the Rings, yeah, but... Argo Lord... was a thriller. I don't know. Argo kind of doesn't... See... That's like a biopic almost, though, right? I mean, it's kind of a thriller. I don't know. Something I... fiction-y, non-fiction-y, just up there is kind of neat. I, uh, I agree with you probably. about Get Out being good but not best picture worthy and we were talking about it i mean he definitely deserved the the screenplay there for you know this original idea and whatnot but i yeah i don't i don't see it distinguishing itself from those other movies even though it is really good i still think it's on par with some of the other movies that didn't get recognized at all i think it's more about his achievement as a first-time director and we were talking about how you know i mean that should have counted for something for best director. Not necessarily that he deserved it, but I mean, he did a pretty damn good job. With I, I could, I'm not like the more I think about it, I'm not surprised Shape to Water won because there is a lot of like callbacks to old movies, like uh, old cinema in there, like the part when they're watching an old musical and dancing with their feet, and you know the musical number in Shape of Water. I, 
maybe those I, I don't want to say those are Oscar bait scenes, but those are definitely like scenes where I can be I can see them going, oh, that's like a throwback to old cinema. We love it. But to me, War for the Planet of the Apes and Logan had more like emotion in everything. It, every emotion was involved in those movies. Like War for the Planet of the Apes, the storytelling is unbelievable. Like Dawn for the Planet of the Apes is way better than War for the Planet of the Apes. And I think Dawn should have won Best Picture. But War still had like, you know, like uh, you're rooting for him to get every, all the uh, other apes out. You're rooting. You, you understood why the, the villain, uh, Woody Harrelson, was the way he was acting. He, he, you, want the, you want them to coexist, but you understand one side. You understand both sides. You just it's it was every emotion. And you felt the the. The sadness come over you when Caesar died at the end. Spoiler. Spoilers. <laughs> but it's Good just. Gosh, Mario. And with Logan, like Logan has so much realism involved with like, uh, you know, when people get old, you don't want to take care of them, but you take care of them because you really care about them, but you don't really express it that well. And just the way you would react to every situation like that, it just felt real. Like Logan felt real to me where Shape of Water, I understand the whole uh, disability, like, you know, the disability thing and, and, uh, them feeling represented, represented and and it's a great, uh, fantasy story. And it's really different. It's a different take on the monster flick thing, but it's, I don't know, those movies just felt real. And I felt every emotion and I felt like they deserve to be up for best picture. That's just my opinion and my take on that. I don't know about you, how you guys feel. Even though I disagree with both the things you said, I think it's a crime that none of the Planet of the Apes movies have gotten any Oscars for anything. That's because they're not traditional films. It's they haven't C- not, CGI not, mocap. Yeah, it's it's a, it's crazy because the mocap in those movies is phenomenal. It's the best in any movie. Andy Serkis's acting is as real as someone uh, being filmed, in my opinion. And I think he deserves an Oscar for those movies. I I wholeheartedly agree. What don't, what don't is, you agree though, Hawk? With <clears throat> with I did, Logan, I, and, those movies didn't stand out for me that much. How, how I didn't did feel they like, st- like emotional wise. They, you don't you don't emotionally feel, wise. They were just they didn't feel that special to me. They weren't they weren't like movie of the year quality. They were good. I'll tell you why he didn't feel that way. Because Oscar Isaac, he wasn't in there. <laughs> now you put Oscar Isaac in an ape suit and he mocaps. Best picture. Chris Hall nominated him for every category. Best actress, Oscar Isaac. The Planet of the Apes movies just weren't my thing. They're really good movies. They're just, they don't feel the sci-fi niche for Chris Hawk. Um, they need they to never have. Travel. We, we are going back right now to the year that Chris Hawk snubbed <laughs> Land of the Apes on his list. Dawn for the Play of the Apes. What I was can't it, believe John? Chris Hawk still. Uh, catching, catching Fire was number one. Yes, I, <laughs> I cannot believe this is still happening. <laughs> Look, it's just the movies, they're not my thing. They're every good Every emotion. Movies. I mean, that's fine. For you, every emotion. For me, I didn't. Some of it wasn't there for family. Me. How did you not relate to the family part? How oh did my you God. not relate to him wanting to free his friends? And then when it, it just, it was like the last stand almost that movie. And I'll tell you what, 
Chris Hawk has no friends. There you go. <laughs> I honestly, War for the Planet of the Apes was the weakest of the trilogy. Uh, Dawn was the best. I think. Or no, no, Rise was the best. Rise is the middle one. I was about to say you no, can't no, say no, Dawn was the best. No, Don't you ever talk about one. that. <laughs> now we're confusing the listeners. Rise is the first one. Dawn's the middle one. No, oh, okay. Dawn's my favorite. War's one. the final one. No, it is Chris Hawk. No, okay. No, you cannot. You cannot yeah. sit here and say that that was your favorite movie. After that discussion, first off, none of the other apes were on my list except for Don. Don was number five on my list. So I think it was like eight. It was five. It was, it was like I eight was five because I didn't. Yeah. it was five. It was five because because you you got you got mad that it wasn't number one. So so you moved it up to five. I moved it up. I moved it to five. <laughs> Just for me, I appreciate you, Chris. <laughs> I'll tell you. I mean, just just switching the subject. I don't think Dunkirk rese- re- like deserved any of uh, the sound uh, Oscars that it received. That's just weird to me. The only one I could see would be uh, maybe like cinematography or something for the way it was shot, but just sound and sound mixing. That's like that's weird. I'm surprised the Last Jedi didn't win original score. I mean, even though John Williams doesn't really need the wins, I still think the music in The Last Jedi was the best part. I agree. It, you know, it's, uh, I, I do agree, though, that Dunkirk deserved editing because of the way it's edited and put together. And because the first, like, like, I would say 40 minutes, the last 10 minutes or last 20 minutes when it comes together, or I don't know how long the movie is, but... Don't spoil anything. I still haven't seen it. The way it comes together, you know, like the first half of it, you're just like, what the heck is going on? And then the last half, you're like, okay, this is coming together pretty nicely now. I get it. So, you know, editing wise, I can agree. But sound like even in Dark Knight Rises and stuff like it's just loud. You know, I mean, like his movies are just loud. Like the soundtrack is over top of people speaking. When people speak, it's real low. Like there's a part where Tom Hardy's saying something in the cockpit, and I don't understand a single word he's saying. You're over not supposed to anything. That that You're would mean there's to. hardly any the, dialogue in that movie. It's about it's about the music in that scene. Now, his <laughs> his movies are just about loud banging and noise. I guess that's just my opinion. Now people are gonna hate on me because no, I, I honestly agree with you. I I don't think it's anything special. I mean, I certainly don't think it's Oscar worthy. I don't remember what it was going up against, but for which I, one? I definitely agree. Like uh, sound mixing. What, what are they? What are the categories? There's a ton. I think it won for, sound mixing in. Uh... Yeah, Th- this this is what they were going against in sound mixing. And uh, let me get the sound editing in a second. Sound mixing is Baby Driver, Blade Runner, Shape of Water, Last Jedi. I don't think it should have won that. That should have gone. No, to- yeah, no way could have gone to blade runner i would have i would have been like yeah totally or baby baby driver for sound mixing come on now and then you got sound editing baby driver blade runner dunkirk shape of water star wars dunkirk wins that one i don't i just i haven't seen dunkirk but i sound editing baby driver should have won that one what are the other categories who who won film editing i think that was dunkirk right dunkirk again yeah, see, that's all they needed. They didn't need three. Only needed one. Get out of here. <laughs> <laughs> I, 
I mean, mostly the the best actresses and actors I can agree with. Um, maybe not their roles because I haven't seen them, like Gary Oldman and Darkest Hour. I haven't seen it, but he definitely deserves it. You know, if that's what they're going with, because you know how the Academy is. Like, I mean, they gave Leonardo DiCaprio an Oscar for a movie he barely did anything in. The movie was not. Nah, it was okay. It, yeah, I mean, they. It's about you know them just feeling like giving people Oscars at some time, you know, certain times, which is a, I mean, sad, but the truth. That's how much they campaign for the actors and actresses during awards season. It's all money. Yeah. But I mean, I, I didn't really have a problem with any of the other ones. Those are just the ones that uh, stand out to me. I don't know about you guys. I'm pretty glad that Blade Runner won uh, cinematography. Blade Runner? Yeah, Blade Runner won cinematography. <laughs> I think you said Blade, like Wonner, Wonner. Yeah. I think you it said was like, <laughs> it was like Blade Rubble Runner. Way Wonner. Did you guys go see Way Wonner twenty forty nine? I gotta, I gotta fix my braces. I heard they left some people out of the memoriam. Um, who just? They should. Uh, yeah, after. Adam West. Adam West wasn't in there. Yeah, and the guy who played the dad of Fraser, they left out. He recently really? passed away, yeah. And there's somebody else. John Lithgow? Yeah. No. no. John Lithgow's Maybe? dead? No. Who? What? Scared <laughs> Maybe, me, Maybe that's the other guy. You're thinking... they, they look the same. <laughs> R.I.P. <laughs> <laughs> but they showed the Godzilla guy, the guy who played Godzilla. I thought that was pretty first neat. Su- first guy in the suit? Yeah. John Mahoney, that's his name. They're both named John. Surprised the big sick wasn't uh, nominated for best picture. People I'm, love that movie. I'm surprised Logan and Warfare Planet Apes weren't nominated for best picture. Okay, I'm back on it now. I'm back. All right, on no, it. no. All right, we're done with this. We're done with this. <laughs> How about that? Uh, that Men in Black reboot spinoff with uh, Chris Hemsworth. Chris Hemsworth. What? <laughs> is this the first time you hear about it, John? <laughs> Apparently, Chris Hemsworth is leading the charge. Um, for the Men in Black spin-off reboot? I'm I'm still not quite sure what it is, but apparently he is he is the lead and they're looking for a um a black female to fill the partner role. I don't know how I feel about that. I didn't think of another piece of news, but and I don't why? That's all I'm gonna say. Oh, I mean Men in Black did great, like financially and I mean, I still think those movies are fan well. One, I still think one is fantastic. That's the point, John. What was why, the, John? What was this <laughs> other piece of news that you uh, were referring to? The Shazam photo leak, Mario. Oh, you that's right. How you feel about that? Um, it looks pretty cool, actually. I'm not gonna lie. The cape looks pretty legit. Uh, I just gotta see. I think it's gonna be a very not serious type of movie. I don't know. I guess we'll see. I feel like they're gonna go a very heavy. Not Guardians, but it's going to be comedy esque. I mean, that makes, Shazam is, that's how I feel Shazam like it. Shazam has always been kind of lighthearted. Yeah, he's lighthearted, but he's also like, uh, I guess maybe it would work as a comedy, uh, live action. But he kind of he kind of has the same morals almost because uh, he looks up to Superman. So mm-hmm. maybe like a have the comedy element in it, but kind of give you that, like he looks up like a Christopher Reeves style Superman, uh, charm. If that makes sense. I think in terms of his suit, it looks good. 
Uh, to me, Shazam's always looked like he's wearing pajamas. <laughs> and uh, I feel like that's uh, accurate in the photo. I mean, obviously, they're going to touch it up and make him look awesome. But I like the classic costume and not like a what am I looking at with Miss Marvel. So we don't get the chance to talk about games a lot. And we're we're gamers. So I just wanted to mention off a bunch of games here in the news segment that are coming out in March because there's a lot. Sea of Thieves. Uh, Death and Request for PS4. Uh, Bravo Team, PSV, oh, this VR game. Fear Effect, Senna, uh, Final Fantasy 15 for PC. Oh, wow. Uh, Scribble Not Showdown, your Fortnite Princesses Training Story. Uh, Warhammer Vernontide 2, Devil May Cry HD Collection, uh, Golem, Surviving Mars, Kirby Star Allies, Assassin's Creed Rogue, uh-oh, Remastered, Attack on Titan 2, Sea of Thieves, there you go, John, uh, De- <laughs> Detective Pikachu, Yo, uh, Far Cry 5, LMB The Show 18, Super Robot Wars X, PS4 game. That sounds like a game <laughs> yeah. for you. Um, other than that, these other ones look kind of silly, but that's all the video games coming out in March. Hey, I'd just like to point out that if you have Xbox Game Pass for $10 a month, you can play Sea of Thieves. Right when it comes out. Bam. Right? Exactly. Yeah, it's a pretty fun, pretty fun game so far. Uh, just pirating around with your friends. I've just played in the betas, and I, I think it's worth $10 to try it out. So, we're done with news. News is done. Now we're going to get into Annihilation. Welcome to the main event. A book trilogy turned into a movie. Well, the first book. The first book. Turned into a movie. The first book with no hope of a sequel because he didn't read the sequels when he made the the movie. So who directed this movie? Alex Garland. Alex Garland. What else has he directed? Ex Machina. Oh, okay. Okay. He's written many other movies. Um, which ones? Which ones, Chris Hogg? I'm, I'm trying to remember because he, he's credited on a lot. He just recently got into directing within the last mm, 10 years? 10 years. I mean, no, no. He's, he was a writer on 28 Days Later. Uh, okay. Dread. Dread. So, okay. I mean, we all love Dread. That's true. What has he directed? Ex Machina and Annihilation. So that's the only two directorial credits he has? Yeah, 2014, 2018. How do you guys think he did? Um, well, we, I think we all three of us liked Ex Machina, correct? Well, it was on my number one for that year, so yes. It just, I personally felt like it, it wasn't rewatchable. I don't know, John, what do you think of Ex Machina? No, I completely agree. It's not not very rewatchable i tried to rewatch it and you just get kind of bored with it but the first hand experience like the first time in the theater was fantastic i think it's one of my favorite sci-fi movies so uh we won't get into spoilers right away but uh we'll do some general thoughts first uh starting with chris hawk now you read the first book out of the southern uh reach trilogy Mm -hmm. annihilation which this movie is based on Mm -hmm. uh so Generally speaking, what do you think of this movie? <laughs> um, the movie is very different than the book. Um, it's it's also very different than what I expected this movie to be about. Uh, 
it's very hard to describe this movie without going into full spoilers because it's a it, there's pretty deep emotional uh, themes to this movie. It's this movie is more theme based than it is plot based, in my opinion. Um, it took me. It really did take me a while to get into this movie. Like there's some parts for other movies where it just clicks with me and I'm in, I'm already invested in a movie and I can tell if I'm enjoying it. I can tell that I'm having a good time with the movie I'm watching in a theater. And I, I I kind of felt the same way with this movie than I did with Dr. Strange where I didn't feel like I was having a somewhat good time until certain parts of the movie. It just, there's a, there's like, I don't know if it's a switch or a button, but there, there was something that didn't go off until almost, a little bit more than halfway into the movie for Annihilation. I was, it's like I was just witnessing it. I wasn't a part of it. And I don't know if it was just because it was a slow burn movie like in Bruges and how it takes a while to get into that movie to see everyone's motivations for the, for the tension to build up, build up for, the, uh, for the climax of that movie. I can't wait to dig into this movie because there's a lot of... This, this movie, I still don't even know if I really did like this movie or love this movie or is it like a blade runner situation i think i actually think it's a little bit better than blade runner or wait do i think it's better than blade see it's different i think you're confused you're confused i'm confused i'm gonna say that this this movie is i don't think i could rewatch it okay That's that's all i'm gonna say right now well uh strong general thoughts there uh I have to agree, though. Like, I, I think the first uh, 10, 15 minutes, I personally also couldn't get into the movie until at least when they got into the um, the the shimmering, right? Is that what it's called? Shimmer. The shimmer. Whoa. Spoilers, they go in there? <laughs> uh, obviously. Uh, let's... I'm going to... John probably cannot generally speak about this movie without going into full detail. I can. You can? You can? Oh my god! Okay, how are you gonna John. assume? How are you gonna assume? I was all just right. gonna let John break it the whole me, thing down. <laughs> no, let me lay it on you. All okay, right? lay it on. This movie is very true in tone to the book in terms of atmosphere and general feeling. That's about it. The plot is not anywhere remotely close to it, minus characters going into a place doing something. Like it's you take the setting, you kind of take characters, not really, and you throw them in there, but. Honestly, the uh, the tone is good, like the creepy from the creepy vibe. That's definitely there, but that's about it. Uh, I really enjoyed the movie, kind of certain parts. <laughs> yeah, but see, I've read all three books, and I wanted a lot more. And it's disappointing that I don't think I'm ever going to get that. And that's that's my biggest problem. Otherwise, I think I could like this movie, minus Oscar Isaac. But we'll get there later. What? John, do you don't like you don't like Oscar Isaac? I don't, and I think his character is useless in this movie. Sleep like my favorite actor, man. Let me let me just tell you when I texted Mario, I said, I don't care about his character. I don't think he needed to be cast in the movie. You could have cast John Cena and had him do the exact same things for a lot less money and spend a lot less time on screen, and I would have loved it. What what is with Oscar Isaac that you hate? I hate his character. He's he's given scenes in this movie to do nothing. Because they had to pay him, and he's like a big budget. But name. that's what the—that's what the husband does in the book. That's not true at all. Yes, it is. 
That is that is not true. He is not in deliberate flashbacks that serve no purpose. Is this fire versus earth? I don't know if that works. Yeah, you're right. Fire and ice better. But I was just trying to come up with a, a, a element for you, John. Um, a plasma. <laughs> fire plasma. I, I agree that like I where I'm at in the book audiobook wise is so which which one do you think is the useless flashback? Which one? All of them. All of them? How? How? Look, which okay, which and, one? Which one? Well, all right, we're we're going spoilers right now. All right, let's do it. Just look, let's just okay, do it. Spoilers. In the book, the husband comes home. He's not the same. Correct. The, the biologist wants to go to the southern reach. She wants to go into Area X. Correct. That's his purpose. His purpose is to give her a purpose. You don't get flashbacks of her cheating on him that never happens. Okay, okay, that's fine. Okay. You don't get her seeing, you know, all these things that remind him, remind her of him over and over again to where you're visualizing her thinking about him because the biologist doesn't care. She she's like emotionally detached from that. She cares about science. That's supposed to be the character. Natalie Portman is portrayed as a character that can't do anything without her husband. And it's because Isaac Isaac is always on screen. It's just a waste of time. I don't think that she can't only do things without her with her husband. But that's all she cares about. Every time she does anything important in the movie, like her husband is there, like fueling her. Not continuing the reach. Wait. Remember Reach? Remember Reach? As a person who didn't get fully through the book, like I'm on chapter two, chapter three. In the begin I was expecting this movie to kind of start off with because it starts off with her getting interrogated kind of right or them questioning her and then it jumps to her backstory supposedly about her husband uh not being around i was like okay okay you're fleshing out the character a little bit for the visually i understand that i understand that but it's very different from the way the book starts and even like in the beginning they heavily it's very mystery esque it's like uh i don't know what the word is that i'm looking for but it, it, there's like a mystery element to it i feel like because because they uh tell you about how it's different perspectives and stuff like that so i feel like the flashbacks were just kind of to get you to, to think that she's a liar and through the flashbacks i really didn't connect to the character like i i just thought she was kind of a jerk because she's she lied to the them about the husband she uh she cheats on her husband she um what else does she do that's kind of uh dumb that she lies about i th- i think it's all just things to make you at in the end think that she's lying so you're like okay yeah she is a copy i i feel like that's what those to- those are tools but i feel like they're not needed because if they would have gone off the the beginning of the book and stuff like that and focused on like each person having their own perspective and having their own journal like they do in the beginning and and how there's hypnotism involved you i think you could still get that and i think they could they could show that visually with narration or anything like that like while they're in there and she's sitting there thinking or something with the loud music going on i don't know that's just how i thought about the flashbacks though it, it's really to me about uh, in the beginning of the movie when they're in bed and she has the throwaway line of 
something like, you know, I don't, I'm not waiting on you. I'm not pining for you to come home yet. That's all she does. That's all she does later on in the movie is all she, all she wants is like him to be back or to figure out what happened to him. And she just remembers him over and over again, where the character really should be more about the investigation and less about caring about the husband. It's just, and his scenes serve no purpose to me because they're just perpetuating this character, making her less important and less scientifically motivated and independent. I mean, that's just how I see it. Now, Hawk, is there, did you like how they kind of showed you the character uh, before they go in? Cause in the, in the book, it seems like in the beginning, they, they're already about to go in to the thing or they're already in there do you like the way they did it for the movie i mean you have to sacrifice some things for the movie um Mm. are you talking are you talking about them just going straight into the shimmer and not doing like a training montage or something like that is that what you're talking about i I think i think what he's referring to is how they meet each other actually and in the book they don't really know each other Yeah, well they're, they're trained to not know each other but they do work it's like a boot camp, but you're not really supposed to learn about each other's histories, past names, anything personal. But you, you know, they all train together to to fire weapons, survive, basic survivor skills. Like she's not a soldier in the in the book, but they're yeah, the, uh, but they're the surveyors. The yeah, they're surveyors. The soldier. I would say that the paramedic is the closest one to the soldier in this. Well, actually, Natalie Portman's the soldier, but. She's the closest one to the surveyor, I thought, was the paramedic or whatever she was, right? Wasn't she a paramedic? The, no, she uh, was, Gina she was Rodriguez? The, Gina Rodriguez? Yeah. She was the paramedic, yeah. Yeah, that, that's added, right? That's, that was not in the book because I, I only remember the four of them and the paramedic was not there. Psychologist, biologist, uh, an anthropologist that I don't think she, she goes and then surveyor and one of them i think it's i think it was the anthro that's that goes which one doesn't go john in the book in the in the book i don't think they they mentioned that in the beginning yeah they i don't think the anthrop the anthropologist oh the link there's a linguist. that's right the, I don't the linguist think, doesn't go the linguist doesn't go yeah oh yeah okay i remember them mentioning and she's, that. They, they leave her out they leave her out entirely because none of what she does makes like referencing her and why they might need her would serve no purpose because they don't even use that part of the book. But going back to um, the way the movie kicked off and, and stuff like that, did, did you mind that at all, Hawk? Or, do, or did you want it to kind of start off the way the book does? No, from the start, I knew this was going to be, I mean, you can tell that this is going to be a way different theme wise than the book. Um, the book, the book is definitely more about, it's about like a personal exploration, personal inqu- inquiry. And it's, it's very, it's very scientific. It's very stream of consciousness. That's what the, from the biologist's point of view, it's all her cataloging this, sh- the inside of the shimmer. And that's, it's like data. And in this one, it's more emotional. Mm-hmm. And I, I mean, I kind of dig that because I, I didn't think, I didn't think this movie was going to be filmable anyway. John, do you, do you think that too? Do you think this movie, uh, the book was not filmable? Well, yeah, I mean, I said that from the beginning. It, it was never going to transfer well to screen to stay true to it, but they don't take any of the major plot elements that would define the actual movie minus an alien entity. And, I mean, I feel like this movie's getting praised for being 
uh, you know, like smart science fiction, but I don't think that's what it is. Because number one, it's based off of a book. It's not like he came up with this himself. And two, it doesn't add anything. It, if anything, it takes away. I think it takes away? I definitely think so. I think if you look at what, see, you haven't read the other two books. You don't know what is set up by that first book. So you, you can't really appreciate where it goes. Like, for instance, the crawler like doesn't exist. And that's he sets up some some really good science fiction stuff in there that could have transferred well into two other movies if Alex Garland just would have, uh, you know, waited and read the other two books and actually cared about it. But OK, as an entity, as the movie itself, without the books, how do you feel about this movie and the theme that what it, what it, what it was trying to tell? See, the, I, I think I can appreciate it, except number one it's very slow in parts. Like I almost fell very asleep. Slow. Yeah. A couple of times. I mean, it was late. You know, I'd worked all day. And if I'm almost falling asleep, that's that's not good. Mm-hmm. Um, but I still think it lacks in certain areas when you look at the characters. Separated from the book. So you're just saying by itself, Easily, yeah, you, you I, think the like characters my, are lacking. Talking like, about the biologist purely, I'm not talking about the book. I'm talking about the character. Like mm-hmm. she's set up as supposed to be this smart character, but you never get that. All you get her her motivation being her husband. Yeah, and her like... uh to make her more instead of like showing that training of how they let they're trained to survive and all that, they kind of shoehorn in her being in the military. I feel like that's the easy way to show you that she has survival skills. I think the, the best two characters in the movie are the, uh, the one Swedish girl who is the surveyor and geologist and, uh, the paramedic because they actually have arcs you know you you get to care about them and they don't contradict themselves now john hawk said earlier that he thinks that the movie is more emotional and that the book is more scientific and and thought process do you do you uh, like how the movie presented the emotional aspect well, see, it has the movie has to be emotional because you can't present people's thoughts without like self narrating. Mm-hmm. Right. So it's never going to be like scientific, even though it could have been way more scientific than it was because they figured it out super quick. I don't know how you felt about that, Hawk, but like they knew what was happening instantly. Yeah, it felt <laughs> yeah. Like. You talk about the physicist, how she she instantly knew. She's like, oh, this is what's <laughs> happening. Uh, yeah, because the radio uh, waves. It's like a weeks. It's almost like a couple weeks before the. The biologist even figures out under the uh, microscope what's going on to her cells and how she starts glowing. And then she realizes what's going on. Yeah, she's not even like the one that really spells it out. You know, she like she's she figures it out. But then one of the other characters says it and it's like, how do you know? That's interesting. I mean, yeah, it's it's it has to be emotional because you have to see it expressed in their face and and. Instead of hearing their thoughts, which can be done in mm-hmm. a book. And I mean, that's one of the positives is I really like the tone and the, the almost weirdness that you get from the characters. Like they don't know what's going on. and Like you really feel that? I like that. But I never expected it to be scientific. I just expected it to uh, take some more elements from the book to make it more sci-fi. Because I think when you call it really smart sci-fi, you, you don't know what you're missing. So let's step away from the book for a little bit. I want to talk about acting. How, how did you guys think of the performance of like Natalie Portman and Tessa Thompson and Gina Rodriguez in this movie? Or not specifically them, 
but the the cast in general. Uh, Chris Hawk. Uh, I I loved every single buddy, especially Oscar Isaac. He was my favorite part. <laughs> um, Natalie Portman, as always, I think she hits it out of the park. Whatever she does, um, that one part in the when she's painting the room and she sees Oscar Isaac again, and she does this little lip quiver sob and. It looked really real to me. I'm, I, I thought she was actually crying. Gina Rodriguez is always, she's always so charismatic in her roles. And it just, I love watching her. Uh, of course, Tessa Thompson, she plays a very weird character that we don't see from her. And that's the, you know, somewhat quiet, reserved character. And then the, the psychologist, I think that's Jason Lake Cook. She plays a very standoffish, stonewalled, no BS type of person, yeah. and it, it really works. Um, I have a question for you, though. Did, did, did you mind her character at all? Like, did you have any issues with her? That's how she's portrayed in the book. She doesn't her... give out a lot of information. Yeah. She's kind of the leader, and her, see, her she's, voice. she likes to be in control. Yeah, I know what you're, uh, she's kind of like, yeah, she has a weird voice. Like, her voice was, an- <laughs> her voice was annoying to me. <laughs> To me, it, it felt like she was trying too hard to be that character. It just every time she said something, it took me away from that character because <laughs> I felt like she was trying to do it, not that she was just doing it naturally. It was yeah. like I felt like it was forced. I mean, that was just me. But I, see, I think when you first meet her, it's very awkward because of uh, I don't know the interaction and her voice just throw me off, and I'm just like she, she's kind of weird, and then. Uh, the, when she talks to her in the office too, before they go out, is kind of weird. Like her voice, her voice is just weird to me. But I feel like her character starts to pick up while they're in the shimmer. Personally, well, I don't. What Chris Hawk? Do you really like Oscar Isaac's acting? What What does he What does he have to do? What do you mean? He just looks like a zombie the whole time. That's his. That's his acting extent. What are you talking about? He has to be like in love in bed and then he looks like a zombie. Those are his two scenes. What else does he need to do? He doesn't need to do anything. Those are the scenes in the books. Being a zombie and then lovemaking scenes. That's all. But how does that make, how's that good acting? <laughs> I thought, I thought them not... two, I mean, even though they took out the, it's mentioned that they had problems in the movie, but it's not, I mean, they don't dwell on it a lot like they do in the book, but there is something above the surface there that, you know, there's clues in the movie. You could see it. I. I mean, I could. It's there's there's a cheating scene. We we clearly know. Did you do you think we needed the cheating scene? Well, the whole point of the movie. I mean, the the psychologist blatantly um, tells the blat the theme of the movie about self destruction. That's the whole point of the movie: self destruction, cancer. You know, that's that's what the focus of this movie is on compared to the book. So going back to the. Um... It's like, uh, what's her and name? The, the cheating, the cheating is part of the self-destruction of the uh, Natalie Portman's character. That's, it's all, her whole life is unraveling. I'm just saying, we, we clearly know there's problems that's not ended at. What's the, um, okay, what's her name? The, the psychic, the uh, therapist, what, what is her, what is her title? Psychologist. The psychologist. Now, the psychologist in the book they state in the beginning uh, heavily about hypnosis and stuff, and I personally think it was teased in the movie because uh, it, they kind of just randomly popped them 
into, you know, Natalie Portman in a tent, coming out of a tent, and they're like, we don't remember uh, getting here. And they kind of zoom in on the, uh, what's her name's face? I already forgot what her title is. I can barely say the word. Psychologist. psychologist. I can barely say words anyway. But the psychologist, they zoom in on her face, and I felt like it was teased about the hypnosis or as a little nod to people who read the book. They'd be like, ha, we know what's going on here, why they forgot. But they never mention it in the movie. Do you guys, did you guys feel like it, something was teased that she did something to them in that scene? They do suggest that they've been doing things for a couple of days and they don't remember it because they say that, you know, X days rations are missing or whatever. Yeah. I definitely could see that. But, I mean, I could see it from the standpoint as if you've never read the book and you don't know about that, you might not have noticed that or cared. I mean, that's just a personal opinion if you only saw the movie. I don't, I don't know how Hawk felt about yeah, it. Yeah, Hawk, do you uh, feel the same way as John? I, I loved the hypnosis part of the book. I thought it was a very neat, it's a very neat tactic you don't see in media lately. Uh, I was a bit, I mean, I wasn't surprised at all that they didn't use it. Um, it didn't do anything or, it didn't add or subtract from the movie. Them not using it. Yeah, but did you feel like it was teased there? I can definitely see that it's like a little nod to it. Yeah. But I wish I wish they would have showed something else to prove that it was that showed the psychologist had control because the yeah. psychologist like when they're on the top of the guard tower and they're debating whether or not they're going to the lighthouse, the psychologist in the book would have immediately said like a line and they would have been in line to go to the lighthouse no matter what since they were hypnotized. Yeah, minus the biologist minus the who wasn't right. Yeah. And I'm Mario, I mean, you haven't got here yet, but I mean, spoilers, if you're ever going to read the book, uh, Annihilation is the title of the book because that's what she, the psychologist, that's her code word that if she says it to them, they will commit suicide. Mm -hmm. Like they, they will kill themselves. And I mean, if you had done any other part of the hypnosis, I think you would have had to go that route to, to lead to something. So I think that's why they made the choice not to. They do say Annihilation in the movie, though. Somewhere. I remember hearing end. it. Yeah. It's at the end. That's the, yeah, it's yeah. the end where the psychologist explodes in the light. It's amazing. <laughs> so do you, um, do you guys have any uh, favorite part of the movie uh, besides Oscar Isaac? Because I, like, I don't think we should go down that hole again. Oscar uh, Isaac. <laughs> Oscar Isaac. Yeah, what'd I say? Giant Bravo? No, no that's um, my favorite part. Oscar, Oscar <laughs> Isaac. Oh. No. Do, do you have a favorite part, Chris Hawk? Oh yeah, it's the uh it's the end, right? No, that that's really cool. But I felt that the most horrific part was the bear, coyote human hybrid. I agree. And I got real, John, I don't know if you got the same feels that uh Full Metal Alchemist, yeah. uh Shout Tucker and uh yeah. I, th I really think it's Shout Tucker and then the uh his dog and daughter freaks me out. That stuff uh that was easily the scary, the like, hands down, phenomenal part of the movie. It was just, I, I like reading the book, John. When you hear the girl, you think it's her coming back from the dead, right? Did you think that? Yeah. And then it's not her. I was, I, I that that was like a like a little twist. I, I wonder if they did that on purpose. I mean, they do mention the beast that moans, and apparently that might be the beast that moans. Yeah, that's what they're going for. But and I mean, just that the way that creature was crafted was 
Fantastic Two oh, because it had humanoid appearance, even though it looked like a bear at the same oh, time. Dude, yeah, it was Just... pretty. It was psychologically uh, disturbing, kind of. It was. I agree. I think that was also my favorite part. John, do you have a favorite part? Yeah, I mean, I think that part was great, but I, I mean, I like it. But I think the the end is my favorite part, just because it's it's almost what I wanted, but not. And I I think the uh, the alien mirror scene, while clearly like way overdone with graphics and stuff, yeah, was pretty cool. Yeah, with the music so loud, I had to cover my ears at a certain part. I was just like, oh my god. No, I really love that. The music was amazing. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I liked it too. It was just loud. What? It wasn't loud enough. <laughs> it, I, it it deserves an Oscar nomination for sure next year. Uh, hopefully it gets it. Probably will. Probably will. What did you guys think the movie was about to you? Because me personally, I felt that this movie was about depression. I don't know if you guys felt the same way, but I that's how I felt watching it. Like, you know, my anxieties, my depression, my feelings. That's what I felt like everything was a metaphor for. The shimmer, the monsters, you know, the self-destruction. Humans are they're bred to kill themselves, basically, you know, to destroy themselves. Did you guys get any vibes like that? Uh, I, I don't know if I got an actual, like, general theme from the movie. Uh, maybe, uh, maybe rebirth, something like that. Maybe, maybe like a rebirth I could, I could see. But other than that, I think it was just, I feel like the, just the, the writer director, um, what's his name? Alex Garland. I feel like he, I feel like he was trying to create a, like his own, or 2001 Space Odyssey, like his own sci-fi epic his own Stanley Stanley Kubrick movie out of this book. I feel like he used it to, and he took his favorite parts and he made something um, that was his. And he kind of made like a, a, you know what I'm trying to say? Like something 2001 Space Odyssey-esque. He wanted to make a landmark film. Yes. Because the end of 2001 Space Odyssey is really confusing and really weird. And when, when with the whole clone thing with the alien and, and the uh, mirror person of mirroring her, I felt a very with the music and everything. It felt very, uh, especially with the 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 orbit comes from like after the light shoots up from the psychiatrist or whatever. It, with the sounds and the colors, it, it just reminds me of two thousand one Space Odyssey for some reason. John, did you get any uh, themes out of this? Yeah, I, I I mean, I think it's really apparent what the themes are about is more, you know, self-destruction, um, all the negative aspects of the the human persona. And at the same time, um, just, you know, changing isn't always bad because she gets basically rewritten in the end and they're better off for it. You know, it's kind of like a subtler theme there that it takes an alien to teach you, but. I mean that's there, and that's that's more heavily implied in the books. Mm-hmm. But the uh, it's it's mainly about what Chris Hawk was talking about. I, I think I think it's obvious to most people. I could agree. Oh, I got you. So you're saying it's not obvious <laughs> to me because I'm a dummy? <laughs> no, you're just trying to see something that's not obvious. That's your. Well, problem. What are you trying to say? You're looking outside the box when it's right there in there for you, but you're looking for the extra stuff. 
So anyway, we're going to go to final grade and uh, final summary and grades. Okay, because because just because we're going there next. So I'll start it off and then we'll go to John and Chris Hawk will do a similarity Rubicon nonsense. Okay. Whoa now. I only get that I only get that stuff from John. I don't need it from you too, okay? So and well, no, okay. I'm a dummy because I didn't get the stuff that you said the movie was about depression and look, stuff like look, that. Okay. We're a bunch of dummies, okay? We're all a bunch of dummies. No, I'm a dummy. I didn't get it. It's obvious. <laughs> and I am not obvious. Enough of obviousness. What's your what's your grade for you? I thought it was okay. I th- I thought it was really good at some parts, and I thought it was really uh, unnecessary at some parts. I thought some some things were rushed. It seemed like, especially when Tessa Thompson's character uh, her her fatal end. I thought that was a little rushed. Um, Gina Rodriguez uh, turning. I mean, I knew she was going to turn, but I thought it was going to be a little slower. Uh, them going into the shimmer and and uh, accounting the alligator and then encountering the bear. Uh, I thought I thought they were going to be at that Southern Reach facility for a little bit since it's called the Southern Reach trilogy. Uh, and everything I just I feel like I expected more, and but I also look at it as its own film because I I haven't finished the book yet so. I kind of I'm like my my head is battling itself. It's like I I really enjoyed it for what it was, but yet from the things I've heard and from what I've seen in the like heard in the beginning of the book from the audiobook, I'm just I'm conflicted. But there you know like I said there's parts where I felt it was rushed and I definitely thought the cheating scene was unnecessary. I didn't need to see Oscar Isaac's character uh more than a couple times in the flashback. I thought it was just a tool I thought it was a tool. I thought it was it was tools to um playing in the movie. I uh I'm gonna give this movie a six point seven out of ten right now. But I feel like it's in limbo. Well, I'll give it two grades based on if I had read the book, which I did, is my actual grade versus what I would think if I hadn't read the book and I could appreciate this and not have ridiculous expectations. So overall the movie is uh it's beautiful, you know. It's it's very vibrant. Has a lot of great scenes and scenery with the 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 flower people and the bear human hybrid and the, even the gator. You know, is kind of cool looking with the flowers and all the colors and everything. It's great. The soundtrack is fantastic. You know, it really fits the movie. Gives you that kind of creepy vibe when it needs to. And then there's some other random songs in there that are. I mean, when you think about the whole theme of the movie, it's like, wait, why? But in the scenes, they actually work. And then I just like the tone of the movie is what I wanted. It's just not the plot I wanted. So I think if I had seen the movie without reading the book, I think it'd be like an 8 and 8.5. But since I have read the books and I wanted the book things, you know, I wanted the crawler. I wanted the uh, the science brigade. I wanted control, which, by the way, Benedict Wong, that guy's so great. If you guys played Prey. No, no. If you play Prey, Benedict Wong's character in this movie is his exact same character in that game that he voices. They look identical too. Like the guy looks like Benedict Wong. 
It's fantastic. Like that guy is great. But uh, I bet you, yeah, I want to. I control. bet you can't wait for him in Infinity War. Uh, I don't know. <laughs> Got him. He didn't. It wasn't that great for me. It's great. And I'm not that excited for Thanos and his tank top. <laughs> but overall, yeah, uh, just, you know, having read the books and wanting more of those things, I can only give it a 7 out of 10. But I think it deserves more than that if you can appreciate where it came from with no prior book knowledge. So for the similarity Rubicon, um, this I'm of the opinion that uh, when you watch movies, it's what I get out of the movie is how I felt during it. And um, that's why I don't know if I can truly say I, I liked this movie because it, it made me self-reflect about hard times that I went through. So I don't know if that's a good thing or a bad thing. I think it's a little, it's like bittersweetness because, you know, you sometimes you grow stronger from those experiences. You grow past them, but at the same time, you know, they're what made you. Yeah, they're what made you. And you want to go back. So for the human element of this movie, the how it they're like, you know, how humans are just sometimes absolutely terrible, how sometimes they go through changes, you know, the, the self-destruction. I put down the Apocalypse Now movie, and there's a reason why that movie is based off of Heart of Darkness. Um, the movie is very dark. It it starts off in a somewhat positive tone, but when you start going through Apocalypse Now, you start seeing the, the horrors and the terror of what humans can actually do, and it's it's very scary. You know, we are capable of mindless destruction, and that that's what I got from uh, Apocalypse Now, and then the self destruction theme of uh, Annihilation, uh, Requiem for a Dream. Both these movies serious downers like uh i could tell you i've only seen these movies each once and i probably never watch any of these movies ever again just because they make me feel in a dark place and i i just that's not what i want to feel Room for a dream is of course a tale of four to five individuals that get caught in a rut and it's either you know some of it's addiction some of i mean it's all addiction but it's all like a human behavior that they put in. It's all self-destructive and it's all bad and it all ends very bad for all of them. You know, that's it's a serious downer of a movie. This movie, I don't know if I could ever watch it again. I'm not going to say it's bad or good, but it is an experience. And if you had the types of experiences that you, you know you see in this movie, you might you might learn something about yourself. You might, you might see that you not, might need help. So this, this is like one of those movies where it could help you solve a problem that you don't know you have. I mean, maybe it's not that deep for you. Maybe it is. But I, I do think Annihilation is a good sci-fi movie. Uh, I did love the sci-fi elements in it. The ending was pretty great because they didn't explain any of it. Nothing was explained. The, the last 10 minutes, it's all just imagery kinetic and i think i think this movie as a whole works but compared to the books it's it's very different and if if you wanted that you're not going to get it but if you watch this movie just for the movie's sake you're probably going to enjoy it and that's that's what i got from this movie
uh, there you have it. I gave Annihilation a 6.7 out of 10, uh, but it's in limbo right now. I'll have to watch it again to get another uh, experience. Uh, John said with the things he expected from the book after reading the trilogy, he gives it a 7 out of 10. If he didn't uh, read the books and was experiencing it for the first time, he believes he would have gave it an 8 to an 8.5 out of 10. And Chris, I also think it's more rewatchable than Ex Machina. I'll just throw that out there. Boom. Boom, there you go. Uh, I don't know about those Oscar Isaac flashback scenes personally. You skipped those. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, Chris Hawk, uh, with a similarity to Rubicon, the, uh, the, the great mascot of our beloved <laughs> review episodes, uh, compares it to Apocalypse Now. Uh, but there's no napalm to smell in the morning and uh, annihilation. And uh, for the human element, that that's he said apocalypse now. For the uh, depressing themes, he said uh, Requiem for a Dream because they brought him back to a place he wishes he dares not want to ever go again. So there you have it. Those That was our take on Annihilation. Now, you could have either been one of the people who thought it was very intellectual and you thought it was really good, um, that's fine. Everything is, a, that's your opinion. Everything's, a, um, you, everybody sees something different. Yeah. So if you read the books, you know, let us know your opinions on the movie. Uh, and, and the, yeah, I'll talk to you about it and we'll appreciate it. Yeah. John and we'll discuss about the books and the movie. Chris Hawk will tell you about, um, how much you guys appreciate Oscar Isaac. Mm-hmm. and how beautiful of a human man he is and uh i will just uh probably try not to get involved in base and say anything because i might offend somebody or something along those lines but uh we appreciate you listening to this episode hopefully you got this far uh we're gonna send it off now um tell you about where to find us uh chris hawk if you like to tell these fine people where to find us on the internet so you can find us on facebook you can find us on twitter you can find us on Instagram. Instagram. All all of them are at cinema slash. No, cinema space. Under, no, is it underscore? What okay, is it? I got this. Okay. Cinema, uh, on Facebook, we're just Cinema 7. On Instagram and Twitter, if you search Cinema 7 underscore podcast, you on Twitter, it's just the number 7 underscore podcast. But on Instagram, it's the number 7 E-V-E-N. That's how we spell 7. Um... That's how you can look us up on social media. Uh, you, If you're listening to us on SoundCloud and you have an Android, check us out on Google Play. If you are listening to us on Stitcher or and or SoundCloud and you have an Apple device, check us out on Apple Podcast app, iTunes, technically. And you can rate and review us. You can describe to, the, to us so you'll have every episode download right to you. And uh, if you want to support us, John, tell them about Patreon. You can donate to the Patreon page. <laughs> there, give us a little dollar, and uh, you know we'll appreciate you. Um, we used to give shout-outs on every podcast, but then the only people regularly contributing are Mario and I. So we we know and we're me. doing all right, and me. But we appreciate you and guys. Me. And me, uh, Chris Hawk, with his meager contribution. Uh, Mario's mom donated a ton in the past, and Joey Hill even donated once. Thank you guys. Nice for donating thanks mom thanks chris hawk we know you'll hop on that donation train again joey hill i appreciate you bud 
get all them kills with that diva. And so with that, Chris Hawk, take it away for for the classic Chris Hawk uh, exit. So, as always, we want to thank you for listening with us. We want to thank you for exploring with us. Nope, that I. <laughs>